Political correctness is running rampant through the church today, and the result is that it is holding the church hostage with regard to speaking some very unpleasant biblical truths, truths that need to be proclaimed. One of the persons who is fearlessly proclaiming those truths is Dr. Robert Jeffress of First Baptist Church in Dallas. Stay tuned for a challenging interview with him. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. It's uh, good to have back with me once again Dr. Robert Jeffress, who is the pastor of First Baptist Church, and that is where we're filming this particular program. Dr. Jeffress, welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. It's great to be back. i tell you what, uh, we had quite a program last week. I'm still reeling from it, uh, but uh, we uh, looked at uh, this uh, tremendous book you've written called Outrageous Truth, uh, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe In, and we were talking about the fact that there is such a thing as absolute truth. Now, we live in a society that doesn't believe that anymore. Comment about that for a moment. We live in a society that basically teaches relativism. Everything is relative. That's right. And and a simple dictum for that, Dave, is relativism says everything is right sometime and nothing is right every time. There you go. And uh, unfortunately, so many Christians have embraced that idea. They've embraced the idea, well, that maybe is what I believe, but uh, that's only what I believe. If you believe something else, that's equally true. And we have confused what we all know is diversity in our country with pluralism. Diversity says there are a variety of opinions about any topic. Well, of course there are. But pluralism says all ideas are equally valid. Yes. And of course, that's absurd. It that's is. relativism. And, and uh, the, the, I guess the greatest value in American society today is tolerance. But it's a different type of tolerance than I grew up with. When I was growing up, tolerance meant that you tolerated somebody who had a different viewpoint of yours or a different lifestyle. But today, tolerance means you must not only tolerate them, you must endorse it. You must say it is okay. That's right. That's a different type of tolerance. It is. And uh, my own experience, and I'm sure yours is too, is liberal liberals say they believe in tolerance and they will tolerate every viewpoint unless it violates their viewpoint. And then suddenly they will not believe. Not only do they not believe it, they don't believe you ought to have a right to your beliefs either and certainly to voice them in a pluralistic society. Wow. Well, folks, uh, last week uh, we took a look at this book in which he talks about seven absolute truths in the Bible. And I want to read those truths to you once again. Uh, every other religion is wrong. God is ultimately responsible for suffering. God sends good people to hell. Homosexuality is a perversion. Husbands are to be the leaders of their families. Evolution is a myth. And America is a Christian nation. You can see why this book has caused such a controversy. But these are absolute truths. And we discussed several of them last week. And if you were not here for that program, I would urge you to go to our website at lamblion.com. No and in the middle, lamblion.com. And you will see last week's program there. Don't miss it. And now I want to get back to this book and let's go to super hot topic, and that is homosexuality is a perversion. Uh oh. <laughs> go for it. Well, by perversion, Dave, I mean homosexuality is a twisting 
of God's plan for human sexuality. You know, a lot of people say, well, why do you Christians talk about homosexuality? Jesus never addressed the topic. He never spoke about homosexuality. Well, the fact is, he did address it in Matthew 19 when he got, he gave God's standard for sexual relationships. He said, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. God's standard for sex is very simple. It's to be between a man and a woman in the security of the marriage relationship. And anything different from that is a perversion, a twisting of God's plan. The fact is, Jesus never spoke against pedophilia or bestiality uh, or polygamy. I mean, he didn't have to because what he said was, here's God's standard. Any deviation of that is a perversion. I've got to tell you a somewhat humorous story. When I was preaching this message, we had on our marquee out here on Monday morning, I had them put the next Sunday sermon title, and we put up there, Homosexuality is a Perversion. And I looked at that, I thought, well, now somebody driving down the street, maybe they wouldn't quite understand it, so I tried to soften it a little bit. I put up there on the marquee, Why Gay is Not Okay. Dave, we had a firestorm here in the city of Dallas over it. We had hundreds of protesters protesting that message simply for saying we had death threats, everything, simply because I would say gay is not okay. That is not a popular message today, but that is God's message, not out of hatred, but out of love for us to say, I created sex, God said, and here's how it best operates between a man and a woman in the marriage relationship. What do you say to a person who says, well, I was just born that way. God created me that way. Well, I'm going to shock you probably in this because there's a raging debate I deal with, are people born gay? And uh, many homosexual advocates will point to three studies that suggest that there is a gay gene, none of which has been proved yet. But, you know, even if it is proved at some future time that there is a biological pre- Uh, disposition toward homosexuality, I would say, so what? All sin is inherited, the Bible tells us. There is a genetic component to sin that sometimes manifests itself in alcoholism or adultery, possibly homosexuality. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus Christ came and died for us so we don't have to stay the way we are. We don't have to stay a prisoner of adultery or homosexuality or other addictions. We can be free. Well, I'm not shocked by what you just said at all because I would agree with it 100%. And I often make that point that we're born with a fallen sin nature. There are some people who are just sort of natural born adulterers and natural born thieves and uh, natural, you know what, but that doesn't make it right. That's right. That's and it right. means that we have to fight against that, uh, that evil nature. And, and, of course, in the flesh we can't win. And I, and uh, I, and I want to go further because yeah. I think there may be some people watching right now yes. who have family members who are struggling with this issue of homosexuality or maybe even themselves you are struggling with this issue. And I think we need to be very sensitive here. I think Romans 1 teaches that there are some people who reject the truth of God and homosexuality is the punishment from God. That's right. And they receive the penalty in their own person for rejecting the truth of God's Word. So some people's homosexuality is a choice in the sense mm-hmm. that it is a result of turning away from God. But I think there are other people, whether it is nurture or nature, who very early in life start struggling with this issue of homosexuality. And I would just say to you, don't listen to what liberals say. Don't listen to what the non-Christian says that says you were born this way and there is no way out. 
God has the message of hope for you. And that even if you, because of nature or because of your environment, have this inclination, Christ can set you free from it. That's right. Christ came to die so that you don't have to stay in that lifestyle. There is hope through Jesus Christ. Well, uh, too, uh, when when you start blaming uh, all your sinful ways on, I was born that way. Uh, you could justify bestiality. You could justify pedophilia. You could justify any perversion on the on grounds that, well, the person was just born that way. That's right. That's no defense no. for sin. It isn't, and uh, and it and it and it traps people into a lifetime of misery and depression. I give the statistics in my book. You know, homosexual homosexuals are so much more likely prone to suicide, to alcoholism, to drug addiction. I've had homosexuals say to me. Robert, if you if you believe it's a choice, you don't understand. Why would anybody choose to live the miserable lifestyle I'm living? Well, Dave, they bought into the lie yeah. that they can't change. That's they right. were born that way and therefore have to stay. Well, that I know way. people who have changed. Yes. and I'm sure you do too. Absolutely. But they changed the power of Jesus Christ, and that's the only way to yeah. change. And and uh, I would urge anybody out there viewing who's struggling with this uh, to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. And if they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, they need Jesus Christ, so that's the Spirit right. can come in and help. You know it. Reminds me of these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, where Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Well, at that point, you just sort of give up. But look at the next verse. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. And I'm so glad you read that whole passage yeah. because some people stop short and says, well, see, homosexuals can't go to heaven. Well, Paul said, neither can <laughs> adulterers. And Jesus said, if you've ever lusted, you're an adulterer. Neither can thieves. If you've ever coveted, none of us can go to heaven on our own, but through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be So, saved. what would you say to a person who is struggling with homosexuality? I would say to someone right now who is struggling with this issue of homosexuality, first of all, understand God loves you. He wants you for Himself. He wants to have an eternal relationship with you. And the Bible says through the power of Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. You can be set free. I'd say to you right now, remember the reason Jesus Christ came and died on the cross was not for your successes but for your failures, including the failure of homosexuality. And even if you feel dirty right now, you feel unworthy before God, that's why Christ died for you. And the Bible says God can not only give you forgiveness from your sins, He died to give you power over sin. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. They've talked about the wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit in your life who can give you the power to say no. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Well, welcome back to our discussion of tough issues with Dr. Robert Jeffress, who is the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Dr. Jeffress, uh, in your book, Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe, uh, you have some very, very powerful absolute truths in there, and one that is not included but was included in your recent sermon series on this was one that you uh, simply uh, entitled, Abortion is Tantamount to Murder. Mm -hmm. Boy, those are strong words. Mm -hmm. Why did you say it that way? Well, it is. 
I mean, let's face it, abortion is the taking of a life inside the womb. As you have said, it ought to be the safest place for life, but it's probably the most dangerous place to be right now. Uh, I think it is such a, a contrary thing to the nature of God to take the life of anyone, but especially the unborn. Uh, when you look at Genesis 6, and I told our congregation this, when you look at the reasons that were given that God destroyed the world the first time through a flood, most people think it was because of sexual immorality or the worship of false mm-hmm. gods. But those are not the stated reasons given. In fact, twice in Genesis 6, God said, I'm going to destroy the world because of violence. Yes. God hates violence. Yes. And the reason He hates violence is when a man inflicts violence upon another person, he is destroying someone that God has made in his own image. God is the giver of all life, and only God should have the right to take a life. And I believe that is why abortion is such a serious crime. But those on the other side argue, well, the baby in the womb is not really a baby. They won't use that term baby. They, they use, uh, you know, the fetus or whatever. They try to dehumanize it, depersonalize it. It's, it's just, uh, you know, a blob there. It's not a human being. So you're not really killing a human being. You know, what is interesting about that is how that argument has changed over the last decades. <laughs> because every woman who has had a sonogram now knows that that is life inside the womb. And I think science, in this case, is going to be pro-lifer's greatest friend yeah. as we see that, in fact, it is a life. One of the things that's always amused me about that argument is that the very people who say that, on the other hand, will be in favor of legislation to protect the eggs of eagles, for yes. example. <laughs> well, is, is an eagle in the egg really an eagle? Right. Well, they evidently think so. And so they'll protect that, but they won't protect that baby in the mother's womb. That's right. And I think think we're hopefully going to see the abortion rate continue to decline as people become more aware, even if they don't accept the truths of Scripture, that they're going to understand that there is a life inside that Well, let's talk about that truth of uh, Scripture. That's another argument that's thrown at me all the time, is that you can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says that it's wrong uh, to commit an abortion. Well, uh, let, let's face it, Dave. This made the top ten list. Uh, you know, Dave Letterman has his top ten. God has his top ten. It's called the Ten Commandments. And it says very clearly, thou shalt not murder. Yeah. And uh, it all begins, is that a life inside the womb or not? Science tells us that it and is. And the Bible treats it as that. Uh, Jeremiah talks about the fact he was called by God in his mother's womb. Yes, in Psalm 139, yeah. when David talks about right. he was skillfully and fearfully made and formed inside his mother's And I'm always uh, reminded of the fact that when uh, Mary went to visit Elizabeth, it says that John the Baptist, who was in Elizabeth's womb, leapt in her womb. He began to turn somersaults as the Christ child who was in Mary's womb came into his presence. That's exactly right. And you look in the Old Testament law, a man who harmed a pregnant woman and caused her to lose the child, that was treated as a murder. It seems to me that abortion is just simply one more manifestation of our increasing lack of respect for the sanctity of life. That's right. And I've always said that uh, if parents can pay a doctor to kill their baby, that the time will come when children can pay the same doctor to kill their parents. Mm-hmm. I, I think euthanasia will just be a natural. In fact, the state of Oregon has already voted to allow doctors to do that. Yes. And I, and I think, again, it comes back to the ultimate rebellion against God, and that is to take as our prerogative to destroy the life that He has made. I'm sure there's probably somebody viewing this program right now who has had an abortion. Hmm. And it may be that they're struggling with guilt 
Maybe they've been struggling with it for a long time. Maybe they're struggling with it for the first time as a result of what you've just said. What would you say to a woman who may be struggling with guilt? As a There's result? two things. First of all, I would say to pastors and leaders, we need to be very careful when we talk in our pulpits or the places of teaching that we have about abortion. We need to always talk about the grace of God because yes. in every audience, statistically, there's going to be somebody who has gone through the pain of an abortion. And I would remind anyone watching right now who maybe has gone through an abortion to please remember Colossians 2 says that Christ died for all of our transgressions. He didn't just die for the little sins that we commit. He died for those big sins, those sins that we think are unforgivable. That's why Christ died. And no matter what your sin is today, whether it is abortion or homosexuality or adultery, whatever that sin is, it is not bigger than the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient to forgive you of all of your sins. Ask God's forgiveness. Trust in Christ as your Savior. And the fact is you can be forgiven and begin again. And the Bible is full of examples of that kind yes. of grace, like Paul, who had he, the blood of Christians on his That's right. Hand. He says, even though I was a murderer, a <laughs> blasphemer, and a violent aggressor, I found mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And if I, he said, the grace of Jesus Christ was sufficient to save me from all sin. Or take David in the Old Testament, yeah. a man who committed murder, a man who committed adultery, who lied, and yet he was a man who repented before the Lord Ask the Lord to forgive him, and he's remembered as the man after God's own heart. That's right. What a God. What grace. It's just beyond anything we can comprehend. That's right. And it's free of charge. It's available <laughs> to anybody who asks. It's amazing grace. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, folks, uh, we're going to pause here for just a moment and uh, sh give you a, a message about how you can get a copy of this remarkable book by Dr. Jeffers called Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe In. And then we'll be back in just a moment. We're pleased to offer Dr. Robert Jeffress' powerful book, Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe. Dr. Jeffress doesn't pull any punches as he explains why every other religion is wrong. God sends good people to hell. Homosexuality is a perversion. Evolution is a myth. God is ultimately responsible for suffering in the world. Husbands are to lead their families. America is a Christian nation. In this book, one of the most articulate Bible teachers alive today gives a clear biblical presentation of the politically incorrect facts that most preachers are avoiding. In Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes That You Can Still Believe, doubters are given reason to believe and Christians are given evidence to strengthen their faith and their ability to respond to skeptics and seekers alike. This impactive book is available for a gift of $15 plus the cost of shipping and handling and can be ordered by visiting lamblion.com. Just visit lamblion.com and click on the TV Offers button. Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe is cataloged as P70. Well, welcome back uh, to my interview with Dr. Robert Jeffress, who is the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. We've been discussing his wonderful book called Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe. Uh, Dr. Jeffress, I have found, uh, much to my dismay, that uh, many, many pastors around this nation tiptoe through the tulips when it comes to 
the story of the origin of the universe mm -hmm. and the origin of life. Mm -hmm. uh, it's often dismissed as something that is irrelevant, something that's not all that important, as uh, something that we really can't know that much about. Or if they address it at all, it, they tend to spiritualize it to death. Uh, and yet in your book, you make the comment that evolution is a myth. That's right. Point blank. That's right. How important is this issue of the creation and evolution? Well, I think it's the fundamental issue. Uh, are we the result of just random mutations, or is there a Creator God who made us to whom we're responsible? And I think our readers, Dave, need to understand three things about evolution. First of all, evolution is about a process, not about a timetable. Don't get hung up on the age of the earth. That's not really what evolution is about. It's a theory It is that says that life is the result of random mutations. It is an unsupervised process that makes no allowance for a creator God. And secondly, evolution, and this is so key to understand, it's not about minor variations within species. It's about major variations between species. Yes. Evolutionists love to say, well, just look at human beings. They're larger today than they were 100 years ago. Therefore, <laughs> evolution is a fact. Well, that's microevolution. Right. We all accept that. But even though there's evidence for change within species, there is no evidence that says a microscopic blob became a amoeba that became a, a fish that became a reptile that became a bird and a baboon and a human being. There is no fossil evidence for that kind of macroevolution. And the third thing, and again, this is key, is evolution is not just a scientific theory. It is a religious philosophy. The evolutionists will say, well, we ought to leave creationism to the Sunday school classroom because that's faith. But evolution is science, therefore it belongs in the public school classroom. Evolution is a religious philosophy just as much as creationism is. Both come to the table with a presupposition about God. We believe in the beginning God created life. Yeah. The evolutionist believes there is no room for God in creation. It is completely a random process. Now, the evolutionist, uh, Dave, will say, oh, we're not making any statements about God, whether there's a God or gods. Well, technically, he may not be talking about the existence about God, but he is very much saying God had no role in the origin or the evolution of life. I've studied this issue a lot, and I decided a long time ago that evolution is a religion. It is yes. a religious uh, philosophy uh, that the people who really push this hard or uh, people who do not want to admit that they are subject to anyone. That's because right. if, if you give in to the idea that God created, then you're subject to somebody. That's and they don't want to be subject to anybody. And uh, the fi uh, idea that it's some scientific, uh, uh, been proven scientifically, which I hear more and more people say, you can't prove something scientifically that uh, you weren't there to test it and you can't recreate it in the laboratory. Right. It's not a proved scientific theory. And let me tell you how shaky this theory is. Right here in Texas where we're filming this program, we are in a battle right now with our State Board of Education. Oh, yes. For 20 years, the State Board of Education has said whenever evolution is taught, there ought to be a discussion of both the strengths and the weaknesses of the theory. Well, now a group of biology teachers are saying there should never be any mention of the weakness of evolution when it's taught in the public school. To talk about the weakness of evolution would jeopardize students being accepted into college and getting jobs. Now, let me ask you, what 
what theory out there should not be subject to testing and to scrutiny? That's a whole. Uh, that's science, and that's education to be able <laughs> to ask right. questions. But that shows you how shaky their theory is. They know it will not stand up under serious scrutiny. And what does that have to do with being a great scientist anyway? The greatest scientist who ever lived that everyone admits is the greatest that ever was Isaac Newton, who yes. believed in the creation of the universe, who believed in God. You can go through history and just name one after another after another. That's right. And I quote in this book, Outrageous Truth, some renowned evolutionists who say they are not evolutionists because of the, of the evidence. They are evolutionists because to accept the alternative is unacceptable, is unacceptable. to them. Well, Darwin himself said that uh, it was hard to believe in what he was saying because of the complexity of the human eye. But he said, I know that one day the fossil record will prove that I'm right. Well, the fossil record has not proved. In fact, evolution is on the defense today. Evolution is on the ropes to the point that some of the major evolutionists are now saying the only answer to life on this earth is aliens must have come from other planets and planted it here. Well, that's Francis Crick, the uh, discoverer of the DNA molecule. Yeah. I mean, he said the only explanation from life is that aliens came and uh, 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 planted life spores here on planet Earth. And as Philip Johnson says, when somebody of Crick's caliber says that life has to be from <laughs> aliens, then it's time to reevaluate re the whole the evolutionary Well, you theory. know, uh, there's another aspect of evolution, too, that uh, gets back to a point you made in our first program when you were talking about are there many different roads to God, and, and you said... You know, Jesus said there's only one way, and that's Him. And when you say there are other ways, you are challenging His integrity. Well, we're really challenging the integrity of the Bible when we start talking about evolution. Because the Bible says God created. And you're either going to believe that or you're not going to believe it. And if you're not going to believe that, why believe anything in the Bible? That's right. I remember W.A. Criswell once made the statement that one of his biggest uh, aggravations were people who say, yes, I believe the Bible, but they only believe those portions that they agree with. That's right. He, he called it a leopard theology. The Bible is inspired in spots, and I'm inspired to spot the spots. That's leopard theology. That. That's yeah. good. And there's so many people like that. That's right. But we're really talking here about the integrity of God's Word. That's right. We really are. And, and, and let me just say to our audience too, Dave, I hear people, and you do too, say, well, I believe God used evolution to bring about the different life forms. And they call themselves theistic evolutionists. Anybody who says that doesn't know anything about the Bible because there's no allowance. Paul said all flesh is not the same flesh. There's one flesh of birds and so forth and so forth. But also they don't understand the theory of evolution. Evolution makes no allowance for God. The National Association of Biology Teachers in 1995 and 97 said that evolution is a random process. Mm -hmm. There is no allowance for God in it at all. Yes. And when you teach that uh, to children, you are beginning to lay the groundwork right there for them to believe that there are no absolute That's truths, exactly right. None whatsoever. Well, Christianity is uh, faced with some major challenges these days, uh, Dr. Jeffress. Uh, one of the things that, that um, disturbs me the most is the Barna poll that's taken every year of uh, freshmen at evangelical colleges. I mean, talking about really fine colleges like Wheaton and others. Uh, and they come from evangelical churches, mm -hmm. and they ask them really difficult questions. Name one of the four Gospels. Name two of the Ten Commandments. And they can't do it. Mm -hmm. And you wonder, well, what are they doing? Are they having weenie roasts or what? Is there any Bible study going on? We have a famine of the Word today in evangelical circles where people cannot discern and, uh, anything because they don't know the Word. Yes. And you can't discern unless you know the Word. That's right. What do we need to do about that? Well, I think 
and, and if I were going to make one closing statement to our audience okay. today, I would challenge this. I believe, as William Watkins wrote in his book, The New Absolutes, it is time for Christians to engage in a renewed intolerance. We need to become more intolerant. By intolerance, we're not talking about unleashing hatred upon people. We're simply saying it's time to refuse to allow error to masquerade as truth. It's time for an intolerance that is willing to stand up and call evil, evil, and good, good. That's what we've been called to do as Christians, to compassionately, yes, but convincingly say, this is what God says. This is God's truth for all who will accept it. And I believe it's in time, time for us to be the light and the salt that Jesus Christ commanded us to be in a world that's becoming increasingly dark and decadent. Folks, that is our program for this week. Again, we want to encourage you to uh, contact us concerning this wonderful book, Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe. That's it for this week. Until next week, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 